Welcome to the Notable Perspectives podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein, a practicing physician and the chief medical officer at Notable, the company on a mission to simplify and optimize healthcare for humanity. Following multiple quarters of challenging financials, the back half of 2023 saw an improvement in the overall financial picture for hospitals and healthcare organizations throughout the United States. However, as the financial storm clouds clear, plenty of challenges remain. To help us with this, let's welcome Eric Berger, a partner at Bain & Company, to the show. Eric and his team have been out speaking with and surveying healthcare executives, and they've been uncovering some really interesting insights, like the fact that only 6% of healthcare executives have a generative AI strategy. Eric, thanks for joining us and welcome to Perspectives. Thanks, Aaron. I appreciate it. Really excited to have this conversation because you published a few reports in the last several months that I think have been really impactful, really captured the spirit of where things are in health IT in in late 2023, heading into 24. Would love to just hear you start by reflecting, you know, the industry has been through uh, a very tumultuous few years. So where would you describe where we are today? How would you describe the overall mindset of the healthcare executive, you know, in January 2024? The overall mindset setting aside, you know, technology and AI and all of that of of the health executive that I am talking to um is is one that is is probably a click up from doom and gloom. I think if I had to pick a theme um from from last year I would say, you know, there, there's that scene from Jaws where, you know, they look at the water and the, they come to the realization you're going to need a bigger boat. It's kind of where like that, that, that moment in CEO's eyes um, is kind of where we are, which is like, we're going to need a bigger boat to figure out how to deal with the threats and the challenges, whether macro, micro, people, strategy, financial um, that's facing kind of the healthcare system writ large these days. Um, so I would say it's, it's kind of a bit of a healthy mix of um, some excitement about the future with a dose of reality, a little bit of dread, a little bit of fear, a little bit of uncertainty, all kind of swirling together. How do you think that's been changing and evolving the last few months as, you know, we saw some pretty drastic headlines last year around the financial challenges that health systems were having, starting to see numbers Im- improve a little bit these last few months. How, how are you seeing that mood shift and evolve these last few months? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the way we are observing what's happening is it's um, people are have been, I think, shifting from a bit of hope that that period of extreme uncertainty, turbulence, and challenge was going to be replaced by this new dawn and kind of a new beginning and so forth, with a bit more, at least, of a settling feeling that we are where we are. We're kind of in a new normal. It's gonna, you know, there's no, there's no miracle cure coming, and we've got to, you know, do some of the hard work around health systems and practices and um, all of those things to kind of brick by brick, you know, change some of the situations. So this is not going to be a market, a market scenario that turns automatically. Like as if we think about kind of the macro perspective, obviously everybody, the Fed, 
Um, there's uncertainty about what the Fed's going to do and, and how that ripples through the economy. And everybody talks about like, are we going to have a soft landing? Have we had a soft landing? I think our base case, my personal base case is we're kind of in the like, you know, we're just circling, you know, 20,000 feet above and neither landing nor taking off. And, and we're just, we are where we are. And, and I think that that feeling of, okay, this is the, these are the market or local conditions we are going to live with, at least for the next year, maybe, maybe longer than that. Um, we've got to get to work. Yeah. So it's, it's not a short term. It's we've, we're settling in. This is how it's going to be. How do we develop plans based on, you know, assuming that things are going to kind of stay uh, this way for a while? I think so. I think there's a little bit less of we're in, a, you know, there is not the COVID or post-COVID. We're in a crisis moment. This yeah. is all, this is really For the first bad. time in a while, really. Yeah. I mean, people are actually getting to breathe for better or for worse. And and I mean, it's it's the general tone and tenor is, you know, we are not in an emergency situation anymore. We've kind of stabilized the patient. What do we do? Um, yeah. And so it's it's not like they're going to get better. You know, the, the system, the, the the business, the entity is going to get better all of a sudden. But but we're not, you know, we're not um, we're not coding as an industry. Yeah. So, I mean, in, in that context, your recent research uh, found that U.S. healthcare providers are spending heavily on IT, um, that they are making IT a higher strategic priority now than it may have been in the past. Um, at the same time, you also noted that they're aiming to have fewer IT vendors in future years. So can, can you kind of talk me through the storyline there? So increase strategically, increase spending, fewer vendors. How, how do you piece that together? Yeah, I, I think the, the general story is Technology is going to be one, continue to be one of many tools that's required to kind of adapt to this new world. Um, the vast majority of health systems are buying into that, though there is kind of a segmentation we certainly see across the system. There are innovators and pioneers who are willing to be first adopters. There are fast followers who are going to take established technology and scale it out. And, and there are laggards, right? Like th there are those who are waiting to see what's gonna happen. With respect to technology, we've seen the confluence of a few important trends. And if I speak more about the health system landscape and, and I can talk a little bit about ambulatory and, and alternative mm -hmm. sites and so forth, but, but if, I, if I limit my comment to the health system world, we've seen the continued progress from Epic in terms of gaining bed share, gaining market share, broadly speaking. And, and there were a number of very large health systems in the past 12 months that have publicly announced their move um, from Cerner to an Epic. And so you you have the kind of deepening, deepening share and power that comes with the incumbency of being the system of record uh, for electronic medical records. And, and you have conversely the expo continued explosion of new companies and, and new offerings from growing companies of incredibly compelling, innovative, and potentially impactful software tools. And so you have that kind of tightening on one hand and explosion on the other. And so that leads most you know, health system CIOs for sure. And, and, but it's, it goes beyond that to kind of the CFOs and, and even CEOs that are out there 
of, of having these competing priorities and, and feeling. Feeling number one is, is, you know, as a teenager would say, it's the FOMO, right? Like it's fear of missing out on the next best amazing technology solution. And it is no joke, but like CIOs are getting pitched five, 10 times a week, right? Like the number of emails they get from, you know, series A, series B, series C, early, you know, startups that are looking for a pilot partner or some early, early adopter. It, I mean, it, it is double digit per week. Um, and so many, you know, like the most sophisticated systems like an Intermountain or UPMC, like they have teams that are literally just, you know, call, calling the list of, of new and innovative companies that are out there. So you have this FOMO with this deeply entrenched perspective that over the past 10 or 20 years, they've had this proliferation of solutions in the software stack that has created complexity. It has created on-prem you know, solutions that require maintenance. It has required um, people to go manage that. And so there's the need for simplification. And so when you marry those two things, that's kind of what you get, which is this, I want best-in-class vendors that have been pre-vetted or validated um, to be, to be the best and I need help kind of getting there. And, and so that's how you see this. I want to cast a really wide net, but ultimately land on a very small preferred list of vendors who are going to meet my needs. Mm -hmm. And how are you seeing that play out across? I mean, you, you mentioned different stakeholders in the C-suite. How is the CIO, the average CIO kind of um, leading the charge there and and working across the C-suite to create that strategy. And, you know, with IT as a higher strategic priority, how, how is that changing the dynamic of the CIO and the other CXOs in, in the C-suite? Well, I, I can say what I think I observe the leading CIOs and executives doing is, is essentially taking the, again, health system or, or kind of broad healthcare organizations' strategic goals, whether that's patient experience, clinician, or, you know, uh, care, care delivery provider experience, rev cycle and payments, right? Like whatever their three to five strategic priorities are, mapping technology solutions into those strategic priorities, and then, you know, thinking about technology as an enabler of achieving those system level strategic and financial goals. That, that's what the good ones are doing. And so, um, Generally, there's an appetite for investment. Um, however, that appetite, we've seen um, a few things happen. Number one, there's always been a push for ROI. I would argue that push for ROI is more uh, tightly defined today than it was 12 months ago or maybe even you know 36 months ago. It's got to be in-year hard savings, in-year hard dollar ROI, not cost avoidance and not out-of-year ROI. You have to see it in the budget, mm -hmm. in this year's budget. And so there's a bit of kind of an explosion of activity that happens in fall, right? Late summer, fall, when budgets are getting set, um, that's when some of the technology adoption we, we see happening because you can commitment, make a commitment into the budget. So I think the hard dollar ROI is is really quite relevant here, um, and and you know for all of these systems that have a you know a corporate finance department, we're living in a world where you know everyone's not not to go on a corporate finance you know tangent here, but um, every every company's um, 
uh, cost of capital, you know, has gone up by 2x in the past mm-hmm. 12 months. And so when you discount future cash flows at a discount rate of two or three what times what it was 18 months ago, all of those savings, um, 24, you know, out year savings are just worth less. And that's true across, you know, all industries. And while you're seeing more and more emphasis on on tools and initiatives to drive in-year productivity and efficiency where you can see the dollar. Because long-term investments are just more expensive than they were a year ago. Any any examples of, of categories that you're seeing? I know you mentioned in your report, one category, for example, was revenue cycle. What other categories are you seeing people flock to or, or rise to the top of the list as you overlay the here's our top strategies, here's the things that are driving significant ROI. What, what kind of buckets are you seeing things fall into? So certainly rev cycle and payments, and I, I kind of would characterize those broadly together. Um, so both patient payments and payer payments are highly valuable. And I would argue that is true, you know, whichever framework you want to use to describe rev cycle, kind of front, middle, back, or, or others, pre-post-pay, all of the above, we are seeing momentum uh, momentum behind. I would say especially in prior auths, denials management, denial prevention, um, patient payments, where you know we're, we're seeing momentum there. So, so that's one category. Um, because the closer you are to the dollar flow, the closer you are to an ROI is kind of mm-hmm. the, 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 the first way to think about it. I think the second very large priority every health system most likely has in its top five is something around patient experience and, and the close cousin around quality. Um, mm-hmm. So but a patient experience takes many different shapes and many different forms. And so we're seeing software solutions um, you know, around patient, patient front door, or any of the kind of engagement solutions um, that, that measure, drive, and define um, overall experience. Number three, we're seeing more and more um, energy around, I'm going to call it kind of operations and operational management and operational efficiency. So how can you squeeze, you know, uh, OR efficiency, staffing efficiency, staffing and labor dynamics, anything that lets you better manage a cost center or an asset base more effectively, MRI, asset utilization in, in the imaging department, anything that um, there's a variety of software solutions that are out there that are, are actively helping health systems um, kind of manage the efficiency a bit, a bit more robustly, because that'll again um, drop to the bottom line. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the next biggest source of innovation, though it's less, I would say, centered around, you know, uh, innovative software or third-party software companies, more around an Epic. Epic is innovating massively on the clinician experience, right? Or, or the, the kind of healthcare provider interface, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, uh, kind of up and down the entire stack. And so we're seeing more and more innovation on that front as they've kind of finished their replatforming and are looking to build out more of their product feature functionality. So I would, I would expect more and more innovation from Epic over the next 24 months on an accelerated basis to be more impactful and just, you know, that they'll keep coming probably in a way we didn't see, you know, 2021 or 2022. So I, I think I would keep an eye on that too. Yeah. 
And do you mean across those categories or specifically in that provider experience bucket? I think so Epic, Epic will be focused obviously in, in the kind of court system of record in the EMR. Um, so I want to be clear about that. But um, but yeah, I just think they, they have a tremendous uh, innovation uh, set of resources to go turbocharge some of that. Makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, the other report that you wrote, um, you know, we, we talked about sort of the different buckets of investments and thematic areas. If you look at technology capabilities, you wrote a great report on generative AI. Um, that obviously cuts across all of these different categories. You reported in that report that um, only 6%, I think was your number of health systems had a generative AI strategy as of the, the time of your research in 2023. Can you unpack that number for us? And, and what advice have you been giving to health systems since writing that report as people are probably coming to you and saying, oh, we're in the 94% uh, how, how do we create a strategy? What should we be doing? What what advice are you giving people, and and why is that number so low? Yeah, I think that number. Um, well, the overall response to generative AI over the past 12, 15 months, you know, essentially since GPT three point five launched, has been one of the fastest moving evolutions that we've seen, and so I am very confident that number is much higher today than it was six months ago or twelve months ago. Um, and, and in general, what we've seen is the minimum sufficient requirement, um, which you can define it as a strategy or not, is to set up or to at least state some kind of sort of governance and guardrails with respect to AI. And so our, our advice is every health system, regardless of size, sophistication, funding levels, should have some very clear point of view on where and how AI can be deployed, access to generative AI models um, through an API or, or some kind of other enterprise license, if that's relevant, to ensure the safe and, and secure use so as not to put patient data at risk or, or essentially play defense, right? Like mm -hmm. people will log in to the public facing consumer version and it is very, very important that they know they are not allowed to put patient data up there. They're not allowed to put sensitive financial information up there. And so I think in general, the industry has, has learned that lesson over the past six months. And, and my, my suspicion is most systems um, have that kind of minimum sufficient in place. On the other end of the spectrum, you have what I would call kind of the leading vanguard of health systems, whether it's uh, an Intermountain a Mass General Brigham, a Mayo Clinic, uh, NYU, uh, you know, the, the leading, some leading health systems being very front-footed with um, developing or implementing solutions that are very uh, um, exciting to see. And, and so they range, um, they range from the mundane um, and so we see third parties, you know, building generative AI or embedding generative AI into various um, steps of a workflow. So we see it in the mid cycle as an example of coding, coding mm -hmm. documentation. We've seen applications, NYU published an amazing article or some researchers at NYU published an amazing article in Nature over the summer about using generative AI and the ability to read and interpret unstructured clinical notes or unstructured, you know, physician input in the clinical note, not as a substitute, but as a complement 
to the already existing pop health models that they run on every inpatient admission around you know 30 day readmission risks you know 60 day readmission risk coding risk all of their very standard you know models to to identify and predict and then manage risk they found you know they can supplement the structured data that goes into those models today or or before with the um, findings from the interpreted unstructured data and improve the statistical power of those models and improve the risk assessments and so forth. So we're seeing, I think, uh, an explosion of applications there. We're seeing um, early exploration, I would say, of where and how these models, uh, generative AI models and the image-based models can be used in, in radiology and imaging. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, AI has been used uh, in, in scan reads and so forth for many, many years, and it's developing in sophistication. Um, but I, I would I would be the first one expecting a bit of a, an acceleration or a leapfrog um, in, in radiology and imaging in particular. And so the, the short answer is we're seeing just kind of an explosion of interest in applications. Yeah. There's sort of a tension in what you're describing in that, you know, you described leading health systems as looking at their IT investments through sort of a top-down lens. You know, here's our our top three to five multi-year strategies and let's apply technology in those areas. And what you're describing with generative AI in many ways sounds very bottom up, sort of grassroots innovation. How are you seeing people organize in those different ways? You know, where are you seeing top down? Where are you seeing bottom up? How, how are you seeing that play out? So I think we are seeing the initial wave of generative AI in health systems in particular was a bit more bottom up because I think people were trying to figure out where and how this technology can be applied kind of on a use case by use case basis. And, and so all of our conversations over the summer were use case, use case assessment, use case prioritization. Isn't this an interesting one? Let's talk about finance. Let's talk about RevCycle, right? It was it was the development of this laundry list of potential use cases um, because in part people needed some experience with where and how the technology can be deployed. So it was so early that it was um, uh, kind of being deployed or thought about in that way. I think we'll see more and more kind of top down, you know, this is the technology, it's proven to be successful. We know we can use it safely and securely. Now let's go figure out how we can do it in the context of our overarching priorities. Um, but, but I think that remains to be seen a little bit just because it's so new and it's so nascent. And you know, I think the other big piece of this is in general, the vast majority of health systems are very much reliant on third parties like FF or others to go implement this new or embrace this new technology within their suite of solutions and then, you know, kind of embed it and roll it out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, your average health system or hospital is unlikely to have the the generative AI resources and and the know-how to go build a world-class secure application on top of of an open AI or an anthropic model or so forth. And so, so that becomes an important thing, which is there's, there's a supply and demand element, which is health systems may want a solution. The supply of it is going to come from, you know, some of the larger, larger technology companies. Yeah. It's really interesting watching that play out. I think, you know, the other piece that is certainly proven true across, across my, my career and experiences, and I've just seen this everywhere 
is how critical the cultural change management, you know, internal operations side of technology ends up being as important or, or, or even more important than the technology itself when it when it comes to success in, in digital. As you're seeing organizations approach AI, approach generative AI, um, what are you seeing in terms of how people, you know, how, how is health system culture, health system operations, um, the, you know, the softer side of technology, how, how is that impacting and how are people organizing themselves in, in those ways to be successful uh, in AI? Yeah, so, so a, few, a few comments. I would say, number one, my very favorite early beta site on generative AI was from Doximity. Um, and the reason was they, um, they, they would, you know, had a, a tool that would let you use these models to, you know, essentially fill out form letters to payers mm -hmm. and, and to other entities. And then you'd have a button that would then print and fax that, that, you know, chat GPT generated document and, and send it to Aetna over fax. And, and it's the perfect marriage of the old and the new and, and just the behavior and the entrenched kind of technology systems that limit what you can do. And so I think to answer your question about kind of behavior change and habit, um, I don't think it's a surprise that one of the first use cases Epic launched, um, and, and they were public in their announcement about it uh, with generative AI was around kind of clinician notes and an auto email response, mm -hmm. because I think they're trying to develop a use case that can very clearly show to a healthcare professional that this is a time saver. This is not an extra step. And so it's a whole other question whether, you know, if it's successful in saving time and reducing administrative burden for a given task, you know, does that extra time go back to a, a clinician's day to go spend with a patient, spend with a family member, or does it get filled up? You know, does that cup get filled up with other, you know, administrative work that doesn't need to be done? Two more, two more slots on the uh, schedule. I don't, I don't have any answer to that yet, but, um, but, but I think it's not a surprise that, that the early use cases that are going to have to demonstrate value are going to have to go make people's lives easier. And so that, that's where we're seeing the traction. Yeah. So last question for you, Eric, crystal ball time. What comes next? You know, as you look, uh, six, 12 months down the line, where do you see us as we, you know, we're having this conversation again in January 2025. Yeah. Where are we across AI, across technology investments in healthcare, across how the C-suites are, are thinking about these investments? Where are we going? I think you're going to see uh, real innovation and potential disruption in a few areas like RevCycle, like coding, specifically prior auth management and so forth, where I think this technology is going to be incredibly powerful. I think we're going to be talking about early stories of a select number of systems that have actually deployed some of this technology or built it or bought it um, and generated real and material value um, from it. And I think we're going to be talking more about how people are scaling up early signs of success to the full system, to different functions and, and actually kind of driving, driving value from it. So we're still early. I mean, as we all know, healthcare technology moves at a snail's pace and it's been only recently, uh, 
very hard to find a system, a hospital or a practice that doesn't have an EMR. And it's funny when, when I, we do some of our work at Bain and, and we're all like, oh, let's go study this EMR, or that EMR in this specialty or that specialty. I'm always like, my team always says like, well, like 99% of the universe has an EMR. And I'm like, prove to me the 1% in 2023 or 2024 that doesn't have an EMR. And then my, my manager is like, well, my eye doctor, you know, two blocks away still uses paper. And I'm like, fine. I, I like, I get it. And it just shows just how slow adoption of technology and healthcare is. So I think it's maybe an unsatisfying answer, but a lot of it is still going to be a lot of the same story, which is behavior change, tech stacks are complicated. It's moving slowly. Why can't health systems go faster? Um, and I think we're going to, you know, as much as I want to have a story about disruptive innovation flying through and making an impact, I, I still tend to think we're going to be um, kind of in a similar spot. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for uh, the conversation. Definitely recommend that people check out the reports that you and your team put out. Some great research, really appreciated uh, the work that you all did. Fun to have the conversation with you. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Notable Perspectives. To learn more about today's guest, check out the show notes for this episode. If you have a suggestion for a future guest, please send us an email at perspectives at notablehealth.com. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a colleague or friend. And remember to follow Notable Perspectives on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Also, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm your host, Aaron Neinstein. Thanks for listening.